The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. First Edwin Diaz, now Jose Altuve. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Monday, March 20th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Today on the show, we'll talk about Jose Altuve's thumb injury, take a look at my Tout Wars team, what the gents think about it, the Fernando Tatis trio has been completed. Players we haven't talked about enough. Uh, some interesting names that we just, yeah, we, I don't know that we've dedicated enough attention to to some of those guys. So talk about those names later on in the podcast. Before we get into it, make sure to like this video, comment, and subscribe if you haven't already. If you're listening on the audio side, please download, follow, and leave a five-star review. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Remember that you can always go back and listen to our previous shows on demand. Last week, we talked a bunch about strategy and gave you position previews updates. Well, guess what? We need to update the second base preview again. Last week, one of you guys, I don't remember which one, said, hmm, we've been really fortunate with the WBC. We haven't really had any major injuries. Yeah, I went on like a whole <laughs> spiel about about it. and Well, I mean, this one, you know... Uh, I thought hit I was the one who brought it up, but maybe you had pitches. to Well, you, you brought it up. I think I went on a whole extended okay. ramp, but I don't know, man. I'm, I'm so sick of people being like, oh, thanks to the World Baseball Classic. It's getting players here. And it's like, <laughs> he got hit by a pitch. Like, this is like when Byron Buxton got hit by a pitch a couple years ago. And like, people were like, oh, I can't stay healthy. It's like, this is literally the definition of just like RNG events. Like, there is nothing you can do to it. Like, we're, we're really going to say Jose Altuve's chances of getting hit by a pitch were lesser if he had been facing some 
triple A pitcher from the Astros organization. No, like, come on. This is dumb. That's exact uh, that's exactly right, Chris. And actually Gabriel bad luck. Gabriel Moreno was hit by a pitch on his hand this weekend, too. It can happen to any player, spring mm-hmm. training or WBC. So I don't think it has anything to do with the World Baseball Classic. But let's actually talk about the injury that, that we are referring to. Jose Altuve hit by a pitch on his right hand by Daniel Bard, uh, of all players, you know, <laughs> USA going up against Venezuela on Saturday. Uh, turns out that Jose Altuve has a fractured right thumb and will undergo surgery. I've seen anything from six to 10 weeks. I mean, Bob Nightingale reported eight to 10 weeks. I don't know how much we trust Bob Nightingale's report, uh, though the Astros have not provided an official timetable. Uh, Scott, talk to me how much you dropped him in your overall rankings and within your second base rankings. So within second base, actually both uh, in both 5x5 five five scoring and point scoring, I moved him down from first to sixth. Obviously, he slots among different players depending on which format you're looking at. But for the 5x5 five five scoring, I have... Jose Altuve now between Andres Jimenez and Max Muncy. Uh, so that's still, that still has him in my top 100 overall. I'm uh, obviously, uh, as we've talked a lot about, Jose Altuve uh, was a big part of my plan for this year. If I could get him in round three, that was something I was pretty much always going to do. No longer, of course. But I, I think he is still a big part of my draft plan. If I can get him close to pick 100, then that's something I'm still excited to do. So the timelines you've referenced, Frank, I, I think for a, for like a, a normal kind of straightforward fracture, particularly a, a small bone like that, you know, I'd, I'd probably think in terms of four to six weeks because he's having surgery, makes sense that that would be longer. We don't really know the extent of the surgery. The, the Astros aren't willing to offer a timetable until after he gets out of surgery. So that is kind of an unknown element there. But I think the eight to 10 week timeline that Bob Nightingale offered is a pretty, it's kind of anticipating the worst. I, I don't imagine it being much worse than that. So I'm just going to go with that for Altuve and think, and, and I saw uh, one of the Astros beat writers for the athletic. I can't remember his name, but he kind of also said, the Astros are hoping sometime in May Altuve returns, which would be closer to the eight weeks of the eight to 10 week time. Table. Yeah. I, like I'm just looking at last year, Tyler Stevenson missed 29 days with a broken thumb. Bryce Harper missed 61 days with a broken thumb and Harold Ramirez missed 29 days with a broken thumb. So that's four to eight weeks, four to eight. Well, yeah, that's yeah. the yeah. timetable. It's, it's probably, I would guess more like, the two month timetable, especially since he's undergoing surgery and then that'll take longer to heal. Um, but I, I would expect mid mid May. Mid May is a quarter of the season, basically. So a quarter of the season, worst case scenario, we're talking a third of the season for Jose Altuve, I would say. So that's you know, that's June first, worst case scenario. June first is gonna be here quicker than you know, quicker than you think. If you have an IL spot to play with, if you, uh, particularly the shallower your league is, I I think it's very wise to invest in Altuve, provided the discount is as much as I think it is. And it could be even more than I think it is. People tend to 
overreact to injuries right after they happen. I know a lot of the commentary on Twitter now, because because so many fantasy baseball analysts kind of view everything through the NFBC contest, which doesn't offer IL spots. I feel like sometimes... And has 15 reaction, team leagues. And are 15 team leagues, so they're deeper, yes. I feel like a, a lot of times the reaction to these injuries can be a little overblown, and, and, and that might suppress Jose Altuve's draft stock further, which would be great for people who want to draft him. I think uh, I think it's possible this injury could lead to me having even more shares of Jose Altuve than I was already getting, which to this point is two. Speaking of the NFBC, there were nine drafts conducted on Sunday, so one day after the injury. This is still very fresh in people's minds, obviously, with Jose Altuve. The ADP was 133.46 with a min pick of 39, so that person clearly did not see the injury or know anything about it, uh, and a max pick as low as 214. So Yeah, maybe- that was the first one that happened. Yeah, The first draft after his injury, I saw the NFC tweeted out. He went in the 15th round of a 15-team league, Ooh. which just congratulations to that guy. So that that's that's going to work out because look, it's possible he comes back from this injury in, in eight weeks and just isn't the right. It isn't right. Uh, <clears throat> Bryce Harper, if you remember last year, came back from his broken thumb in like late August and was miserable for the rest of the season. I think he had like a 650 OPS. He did also hit six home runs in the playoffs in the World Series. He was pretty awesome uh, in that stretch. But you know, the regular season games he came back from, he wasn't quite the same guy. And Obviously, he had other injuries. Had the elbow injury as yeah. well. But yeah, it's yeah. it's possible that he just comes back and isn't the, isn't the same for the first month that he's back and it takes him a little while. And, you know, it, it could end up being a, a tough situation. But even there, the I think the upside is still so high that it's worth a top 100 pick. And if it yeah. ends up being more like a 10th round pick in a 12-team league, that's that's even better. All right, so who will be filling in for Jose Altuve in the meantime? Roster Resource has David Hensley playing second base for the Astros, though they do have Mauricio Dubon as well, more of a utility-type player, but can play the infield if they need him to do that. Hensley last year in the minors hit 298 with a 420 on base percentage, 10 home runs, 20 steals, and an 898 OPS, a 26-year-old playing at AAA in the PCL. Yeah. So it's a pretty favorable offensive environment. Chris, any interest in David Hensley in obviously the deepest of leagues? I think it would only be AL, AL only. I mean, the fact that he's got a little bit of speed and a little bit of pop is is makes him interesting, but the the surface level numbers look pretty interesting. You know, the near 900 OPS, 420 OBP. 26 years old in the PCL. That is, that suggests to me that it probably wasn't real. They have another guy um, who spent a decent amount. I think he spent most of last year at AAA, Pedro Leon, who is three or four years younger. I think he's 24. He had, I want to say grind surgery at the start of spring training. So he's only just now getting into games. If, you know, I do wonder if he had been healthy, he might've had a chance, but he's probably a little more interesting. I think he had like 228 in AAA Pedro Leon, but had, a, I want to say, 2020 numbers. So 17 home runs, 38 seals. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, like, if he gets off to a hot start and, and Hensley and, and Mauricio Dubon are not doing anything, Leon would be more interesting if he got the opportunity. But right now, your replacement's not going to come from Houston, I would say. I, I'm a little more interested in Hensley than Chris is. I know he had one exit velocity reading of 114 miles per hour last year. It's hard to fake that no matter what age you are at what level. And just on base skills that good, 
I mean, Dusty yeah. Baker's kind of an old school manager. I don't know if he's how much he's going to value that, but um, if if Hensley gets run, I think he could be interesting in kind of like a prime Jed Lowry sort of way. So I, I would say if your league is deep enough that you're drafting Bryce Terang, then you should also think about drafting David Hensley too, which would cover those 15-team Roto Leagues. David Hensley, available in the Scott White Dynasty League. Ooh, let the bidding begin. It's not going to be available once waivers (laughs) opens up, I'm sure. All right, so once again, Jose Altuve, the big breaking news this weekend, has a fractured right thumb, and we're expecting maybe sometime in mid-May on the optimistic end, and and if not that, probably sometime in June. The early ADP is 133.46. Both Chris and Scott would be buying at that cost. Let's get into my Tout Wars team, and we're not going to spend too much time on this because, again, I do want to talk about uh, a lot of these players that maybe we haven't focused on enough throughout the draft prep season. And I mentioned earlier, the Fernando Tatis trio is complete. I didn't really go in expecting to win Fernando Tatis. I had budgeted for like a $25 outfielder, and what's cool is he has shortstop and outfield already, so I don't have to worry about him playing whatever it is, five or 10 games in the outfield to earn that eligibility first. He'll just have it right from the get-go. So having that dual eligibility, uh, I got Fernando Tatis at $29. Uh, This is a 12-team head-to-head points salary cap draft slash auction, uh, but it uses roto lineups. So it's deeper than the the normal standard head-to-head points league type setting that we uh, often refer to on this podcast. Uh, so I got him at $29, followed by Rafael Devers at 27 and Corey Seager at 19 No surprise. I mean, I was willing to go $25 on Corey Seager, so uh, don't tell anybody else that. Uh, I noticed that the second tier of pitching throughout this draft was going for more than I thought it should. So names like Hugh Darvish, $25. Alec Manoa, $25. Max Free, $26. So winning Corbin Burns at 32 felt like a relative deal just comparatively to those other starting pitchers. But it's what I did next that I thought was really interested and I want to get your guys' thoughts on the strategy. So since I had already won Tatis, I decided to kind of lean into the injury discounts. Got Joe Musgrove at $12, Carlos Rodon at 9 It's very risky. There's no doubt about that. I'm kind of punting the first few, few matchups. Like I'm going to set my lineup, but probably not going to do very well without some of those names. But... Come May, I mean, this team could be pretty dangerous if, if everyone's back healthy between Tatis and Rodon and, and Musgrove. So uh, I didn't like the prices, and, and so I just kind of leaned into this uh, this volatility and this this injury risk and discount here. Scott, what do you think about something like this? A, a strategy of getting all the injured guys, I, I don't know that I'd recommend that. However, I think you've got Musgrove and Carlos Rodon at such good values. In a league where... Uh, you know, it's only 12 teams. Most of the Tower Wars leagues are 15 teams, right? The one Chris and I play in are 15 teams, so they're deeper. No, I think Chris is, Chris is minus 12. 12 as well. Oh, yours is 12 too? Okay. Yeah. But you were, you, were lay, you were saying it's 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 head-to-head points, but with Roto lineups. So yeah. you compared to what we're used to dealing with in head-to-head points, you go much deeper into the hitter pool, but there are still only nine pitcher spots to fill starters and relievers combined. So it's... You don't go that much deeper into the pitcher pool. I think it's. I think the wa- waiver wire is going to be pretty robust for pitchers, and I think pitcher starting pitcher is the deepest position by far, uh, given the current environment. So, like getting cheap, high upside guys like that, and just kind of streaming while you're waiting for them to come back. Which, in the case of Musgrove and Rodon. Might not be very long. Like Musgrove mm-hmm. might not miss a turn, right? And then Rodon, they're talking maybe two turns he misses. So I, I right. think that was, uh, 
I think that was great for not spending much on pitching. You have a lot of upside in that pitching staff, and I think your hitting lineup. I mean, I, I was looking even your like your middle infield, corner infield spots. Like you, you have legit players there. You don't have what we think of as scrubby guys. And, so um, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with your team. And if I, you're going. If you're going to be forced into a situation where you have to stream starting pitcher, you'd rather that be in a head-to-head points league than a roto league where, yes, you can get negative points in a head-to-head points league, but two-star pitchers are more impactful in head-to-head points leagues. There's You don't have to worry about them wrecking your ratios for the whole season or anything like that. So, um, you know, in that format, and you also have the fact that you just have to make the playoffs in a head-to-head points league, right? Like you... You need to get there. It's important. You can't just take losses for the first month of the season. But if your team doesn't have a great record, but you sneak into the playoffs, but you're strong in weeks 19 and 20 when the playoffs start, you're going to be in a really good spot regardless of you know your record. It, it, it all resets once you hit that point. So I think you know in this format, it, it's, a, it's a strategy that's well worth chasing. And speaking of you know just having a full lineup for the playoffs... Ariel Cohen won Jose Altuve at $8. And again, this is still pretty fresh in everyone's mind. Like talking, That's th- great, talking yeah. through it with you guys now, I'm like, yeah, he probably should have gone for at least double that. So, and his logic yeah. was, Hey, I just need to make the playoffs and then I'll have a potentially, you know, $25 player that I only got at eight in the, yeah. within the draft. So good for, for good. what it's worth. I have Altuve as a $15 player. Yeah. There 14 for me. currently. Yeah, so basically, you know, close to double what uh, Ariel Cohen paid at $8. And considering what you guys said about, you know, the injury risk and waiting for some of these guys to come back, Musgrove and Rodon, I loaded up my bench with some upside guys, Bailey Ober, Matthew Boyd, we talked about. He's looked good in the spring. Uh, Domingo Herman got blown up the other day, but obviously pitches for uh, what we think will be a good team with the Yankees. Um, Dylan Dodd, we'll see what happens with the Braves. And uh, Cole Irvin, who, you know, he's a little bit more boring, but whatever. Uh, in the right matchups, I'll stream him. And I got Will Myers to fill in for Fernando Tatis the first couple of weeks of the season. So, uh, good with that. Speaking, speaking of Dylan Dodd, I happened to catch some of Jared Schuster's most recent start Friday, where he struck out seven. He was really good. Over, how many innings was it? I think four. Uh, Four innings, yeah, seven over four shutout innings, um, and it's just looked great every time out. But what really stood out to me is how well he hides the ball. Like, he keeps it right behind his side hip until he's ready to unfurl it, and I think that's, you know, I've, I've kind of described him as kind of a, a funky lefty since, like, by pure metrics, the stuff isn't that amazing, but that that might help it play up the way it has this spring and the way it did in the minors. And I got to feel like Schuster is more my leaning now. I mean, Dylan Dodd followed up with another great start Saturday, so it's not decided yet, but I'm kind of leading Schuster now in that battle. Come on, Scott. You told me Dodd on Friday, so that's why I I went on. No. Um, But I I saw what you saw, and I watched the highlights. I watched all the strikeouts from, from Schuster's performance on Friday. I was impressed by the breaking pitch. I, I don't know if it's slider or curveball or wh- whatever it might be, but it's pretty new. Like the yeah. changeup has always stood out 
Uh, but yeah, the sliders something he's made strides with more recently. Yeah, it looked really good for Schuster. So we'll see. I mean, Dylan Dodd on Saturday, four and two thirds, one run, four strikeouts. So he looked really good as well. But Schuster does have more prospect pedigree, former first round pick. So we'll see what the Braves wind up doing there. Uh, Dylan Dodd, like I love hearing it because it sounds like some kind of maneuver, you know, like <laughs> like a wrestling move. He's Dylan and Dodden. <laughs> yeah. If you've like never, roll, you know, if you've never watched a Knicks game before, Scott, the the broadcaster Walt Clyde Frazier, he has all these kind of crazy sayings, hooping and swooping, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. So it just it reminded me of that. Uh, yeah, he, he certainly would. Other fun buys that I got on my Tout Wars team finally drafted Riley Green, got him at seven dollars. Miguel Vargas at five. Let's go, Scotty! Hit his first spring home run over the weekend, uh, and then. Wound up with Zach Eflin at three dollars, which wasn't really wasn't really the plan, but I realized about halfway through, and it's a bad job by me. Someone else brought it up within the draft too. Towers, you only need five relief appearances for relief pitcher eligibility. So Zach Eflin is a spark at three dollars, and that also means like Christian Javier is a spark, which I think he went for twenty five. I don't know if I would have been in on him anyway at that price, but like Jeffrey Springs also a spark, so. Ugh, probably should have realized that sooner, but uh, mm, yeah. yeah, Zach that Eflin. Nice. Well, wait a second. It doesn't. It's just pitcher spots, right? So it's seven just pitcher spots, and then two relief pitcher spots. Oh, so, okay. yeah. I didn't get yeah. that. From so there. that's yeah, how you kind of you got to divvy it up. And Kenley Jansen, my other reliever, Matthew Boyd has RP eligibility, so could uh, mess around with that as well. Uh, with that being said. Let's take our first break here on the podcast. And when we get back, we'll talk about some other news and notes here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Ever dream about buying a Fantasy Baseball Today podcast shirt and then jumping over to get a Yellowstone whiskey glass or Top Gun Maverick hat? Well, now you can with the brand new Paramount Shop, which offers a mountain of merch from the Paramount shows and movies that you love. Shop official apparel, drinkware, and accessories inspired by over 150 fan favorite titles. Paw Patrol, Yellowstone, Top Gun, Star Trek, South Park, SpongeBob SquarePants, and your favorite CBS Sports podcasts. 
like Pick 6 Fantasy Football Today and, of course, Fantasy Baseball Today. Scan the QR code in the top right corner if you're watching on YouTube or head to ParamountShop.com. Use the discount code LAUNCH20 for 20% off your entire purchase until next Wednesday. Paramount Shop, where products are Paramount. Let's get into some news and notes from the weekend. Astros manager Dusty Baker said Jordan Alvarez could play in a spring training game this upcoming week. Alvarez took on-field batting practice Friday as he works through hand soreness. Aaron Boone told reporters on Saturday that Carl Sordan is feeling good after throwing on Friday. He'll start the season on the IL, but there's a chance he only misses two to three starts. That's the glass half full take. We'll see how Carl Sordan uh, continues to progress. Jorge Polanco, I brought up the name on Friday. I said it's a little weird that he hasn't played in a spring training game, huh? He could begin the season on the IL after feeling, quote, normal soreness a couple of times hmm. after taking batting practice. Polanco missed time last year with ankle, back, and knee injuries. Chris, we were talking beforehand, and you mentioned that you were going to drop Jorge Polanco in the rankings a little bit. Yeah, I only dropped him a couple spots at second base. But yeah, it's very concerning that after a, a full offseason off, Jorge Polanco is still dealing with knee soreness. Now, he, he had tendonitis in his knee so that's the kind of thing that tends to linger uh no pun intended but that is uh it's definitely concerning that at the start of spring training for a guy who hasn't even been playing in games yet uh he's already dealing with issues with that so definitely concerning uh, the the uh, twins gm did um make a point to say though that he hasn't suffered a setback it's just they're running out of time yeah yeah, like the, I don't it's, think it's going to be long that they're going to go without Jorge Polanco. But that he's already dealing with it for me is just like, mm-hmm. is this going to be the kind of thing that lingers? Is he going to be able to run? Is he going to be able to play every day? I, I think those are all fair questions. I, I, I tend to take a more skeptical view of them when they happen. You know, I, I tend to think like past injuries tend to be overrated when we're talking about injury concerns. Present injuries less so and he is currently hurt at a time when you would hope he would be healthy from a from something that seems like a stress or uh, workload type of injury rather than you know we get a lot of spring training ligament or or muscle strains and that's not what we're dealing with here we're dealing with an injury that he had an entire off season to heal from and is already a problem so which names did you drop him behind chris uh let's see he is behind I had him fairly high. I've drafted him a ton. I dropped him behind Glaber Torres, Max Muncy, and Catal Marte. So he went from right around 100-ish to more like 140. That is Jorge Polanco that we're talking yes. about. Let's move over to Jerickson Profar, who signed a one-year $7.75 million deal with the Rockies. And there are already rumors that he could lead off for the team. I mean, this... A huge change from not having a job to potentially leading off for the Rockies. That, that's a huge deal. Profar last year hit 243 with 15 home runs, 82 runs scored, and five steals. Scott, I'm kind of interested here because just a 15.7% strikeout rate, Profar makes a lot of contact, and now you put, put him in that bad up inflated Coors Field, and he might lead off? I'm kind of interested. Yeah, I mean, he also walked 73 times last year, so there, there's good. there's like a good foundational on base 
situation there for for jerks and profar and if he does see the babbit boost that so many hitters do see at Coors field it could make him a pretty interesting fantasy option he's he's not eligible anywhere but outfield i don't believe but outfield is a position where there is a lot of need and this would be the sort of player who could impact both scoring formats since he is since he does have those good on base skills so last year jerks and profars Babbitt was 272 the year before 266, career Babbitt 264. I mean, he just gets that closer to 300 that as as is pretty easy to do at Coors Field. Uh, then he could be he could be a surprisingly productive player this year. Yeah, I think something like 270, yep. 15 to 20 home runs, 10-ish steals is well within the realm of possibility for him, which in a five outfielder league especially that's going to play. You know, I, he's one of those players who's probably his skill set's probably best suited for a head-to-head point scoring format and I think it's unlikely he's a top 36 outfielder, so I'm not sure he's going to matter much there, but like he's the kind of player who you know, if you need an outfielder on waivers could end up yeah. being pretty helpful. He'll be showing up on the top 10 sleeper hitters anytime they're at on. home, yeah. Yeah. I'm actually in a slow draft right now over at the NFBC, and he went at pick 285. He didn't get drafted as soon as the news came out, so a couple of people either didn't see or maybe were skeptical on it. So pick 285 for Jerks and Profar. He goes just after Austin Hayes and Charlie Blackman at the outfield position. He also went for... I'd rather I'd, have I'd him take than him over those guys, guys, yeah. And he yeah. went for $2 in our Tout Wars uh, salary cap draft, so... That seems fine. Yeah. D-backs pitching prospect... <sighs> My heart. Brandon Fott was reassigned to minor league camp. A little bit surprising to me. He had a really, I guess not really good spring, but his most recent start or appearance rather was really good. Uh, who do you guys think wins that fifth starter job as of now? Is it Ryan Nelson or Dre Jameson? Well, Ryan Nelson turned in the best start most recently uh, on Friday, four and a third innings, one on runs, six strikeouts. Dre Jameson has been faltering recently at, I don't know if they're going to base it all on spring performance. I would hope they wouldn't, but you know, there, there are observations they make that often underlie those performances. And, and I guess the leaning would be Ryan Nelson now, but the leaning before they sent down fought was fought. So maybe it'll be just be Tommy Henry and we can all be disappointed. Oh gosh, Scott, come on. Don't even put that out into the universe. No Tommy Henry. Sorry if you're listening. Um, He's had the most consistent spring. It's Freddie, not anybody I want either. Freddie Freeman returned to playing first base on Sunday, one day after playing DH. He sat out a few days with hamstring tightness, so looks like he's good to go. Kyle Wright will make his spring debut on Monday. He's been delayed after receiving a cortisone injection in his shoulder back in January. Daniel Hudson and Bruce Dargratterall are the most likely candidates to serve as the Dodgers' closer if the team eventually decides to move away from a committee approach. That comes according to Bill Plunkett of the Orange County Register. Chris, here we were thinking that Evan Phillips, you know, he still might have some upside. He, he was ridiculous last year, the ratios and the strikeouts. But then we get a report like this. So perhaps the Dodgers are, are leaning with one of Hudson or, or Gratterall long term. Yeah, I mean, the way that's phrased, though, doesn't really mean all that much to me. If they move away from a committee approach, it might be one of those two guys. Well, one of those two guys may not be ready for the start of the season, probably won't be ready for the start of the season. 
a lot of things can happen between now and when they're ready to move away from a committee approach. I would guess they will at some point move away from a committee approach, but it won't be, it likely won't be because they're choosing to, it will be because one guy either fails or one guy becomes such an obvious option, but you know, predicting who that is right now, I I think it's pretty tough to do. Let's stick with the bullpens. Jimmy Herget could begin the season as the Angels' closer with Carlos Estevez struggling this spring. That comes according to Rhett Bollinger of MLB.com. Carlos Estevez has a 15.43 ERA in six appearances during the spring. And I've mentioned the name before. I'll throw it out there again. Matt Moore signed with the Angels this offseason, and he was really, really good as a reliever with the Rangers last year. And they have multiple lefties, so they don't have to worry about just saving him to face other lefties. I think there's a chance. So in deeper leagues, that's a name I'm looking at. Matt Moore and obviously now Jimmy Herget, uh, if they're mentioning him specifically by name. Yoan Duran sustained a leg contusion after being struck by a line drive during a backfield game on Sunday. Manager Rocco Baldelli said Duran was, quote, moving pretty well. Who struck him with that line drive, Frank? Uh, well, the way that you're <laughs> asking me. Victory, we're doing vi- victory laps on... on- Pitchers I'm hitting, just saying, someone was out pitchers there pitchers getting line hit drive. by line drives during intra squad scrimmages. Now, someone was out there taking it. I mean, it line is drives. it is a good sign that Alex Kirilov was able to play in a game. There you go. He has not there done it go. yet in the spring, as far as I know. Uh, but he has been part him and Buxton. That's the other part of the Jorge Polanco thing is Buxton and Kirilov have both been not playing in spring games, but they've been in inter-squad games pretty regularly playing on the backfield. So they they seem, surprisingly, Byron Buxton and Alex Kirloff seem healthier than uh, Jorge Polanco right now. Which isn't saying much, but let's move Emphasis on. Emphasis on right now. <laughs> Brendan. You know, we're going to stay zen. We're going to stay in the moment. I, well, I think what's what I what I the, the point I was trying to make earlier with Polanco is I think in all three of those cases, Polanco, Buxton, and Kirilov, it's more about the twins taking things very, very slowly than any yes. than anything else. I mean, they just they're, they're not as concerned with getting these guys ready for opening day as making sure they last through the season, which is probably better. Uh, and and if it serves to drive down their draft value, all the better. You know, I should have mentioned this when we were talking about Polanco, but if they do need someone to fill in at second, that probably means more playing time for Nick Gordon. And he had some interesting numbers last year, too. So definitely someone that should be in your radar in in leagues that have a middle infielder or five outfielders. He had some interesting comments, too, about. um, Sorry, is that Royce Lewis? In my notes here, but basically Nick Gordon, Nick Gordon. Yeah. Adjusting his swing for more power. And saying he has a goal to hit a ball 440 feet. And uh, yeah, apparently I didn't label it right in my notes because I'm not control effing to it right now. So it was interesting stuff. I do want to point out, sorry, I was like blanked out there for a minute. And Royce Lewis was playing in that same uh, inter squad game. He's, I don't know if he was like playing, playing, but he was definitely, I saw video of him in a live at bat against Juan Durant which is a little surprising. I thought, you know, I I thought we were kind of looking at a a couple months away from Royce Lewis being able to play, but that suggests that the timetable might be uh, a little more advanced than we thought. And in leagues where you have multiple or unlimited IL spots, man, Royce Lewis 
take a shot last round pick and just kind of stash him for now because when he played last year, he looked really, really good. This is a former top prospect in all of baseball uh, coming back from his second torn ACL with the Minnesota Twins. Brandon Nimmo was diagnosed with sprains in his right knee and ankle while trying to break up a double play. He told reporters Sunday that he believes he'll be ready for opening day. Gabriel Moreno was also hit on the hand with a pitch this weekend, but said it grazed his knuckles and does not believe the injury is serious. Red Sox manager Alex Cora once again told reporters that he expects Masataka Yoshida to hit cleanup to open the 2023 season. To open. That's that's the key word there. We'll see if the Red Sox stick with that. Andrew Vaughn is dealing with lower back soreness, but said he expects to return to swinging a bat within the next couple of days. David Peterson had another strong outing on Sunday, going four scoreless with four strikeouts, but also four walks. He's allowed just one hit over 12 innings this spring. And I think I said he was RP eligible on Friday. And then I looked that up, and I don't think it's true. So I might have just seen it in one league, but maybe the eligibilities were a little bit different. So my apologies. But I still do like David Peterson if he wins that job. Vaughn Grissom has made four straight starts at DH in spring training. He's hitting well, 10 for 31. But Scott, any worry here that maybe the Braves are having questions about his ability to play shortstop? Well, from what I gather, it's not anything Vaughn Grissom has done wrong. It's just that... Braden Shoemake, uh, one of their first round picks from a couple years ago, 2019, who is considered a really good defender at shortstop, has hit the ball, has has looked, it's not just that he has decent numbers, he's looked a lot better as a hitter this year, and they always thought he had upside as a hitter, so apparently they're giving him a longer look now, and and um, Brian Snicker did say it's between Shoemake and Grissom for the job. In fantasy, we're definitely rooting for Grissom, not because not not only because so many people have drafted him already, but also because the last two years in the minors, Braden Shoemake has hit 243 with a 693 OPS in the minors. Maybe he has taken this dramatic step forward, and and that'll prove to be moot in time. But I am I am not optimistic about Shoemake's fantasy chances specifically. This does scare me, though. I mean, between the Altuve injury, the Polanco news, and now the chance Grissom might begin the year in the minors after all, second base is Yuck. taking it on the chin this weekend. Fortunately, it is a position with a lot of intriguing depth late. This is one point we didn't bring up when we were talking about Altuve earlier. Part of part of the reason that makes it easy to go ahead and draft him if you can stash him on an IL in an IL spot is the replacement. There, there, there probably isn't a hitter position with better replacement level talent than second base. I mean, one of my favorite sleepers there is barely getting drafted at all, and that's that's Michael Massey. I mean, he's mm-hmm. not being drafted in the majority of leagues. I mean, so it's it's know, it's a place with interesting talents that you could take a flyer on while you're waiting for Altuve or whomever to return. We talked about it a lot in the, I think the most recent pod, but like Cattell Marte going outside of the top 200 on average. Sure. Uh, Gene Segura is like 250. He's you could do worse for fill-ins. Uh, C.J. Abrams still has some upside. So also Ryan McMahon's going to add a for second base eligibility and like. We're done with like Ryan McMahon having upside, but he's useful, especially if they're at home. He's, so yeah, no, yeah. there's there's a decent number of options at second base deep. Like I think second base definitely shallow on impact bats, but I think it's actually legitimately a pretty deep 
position in terms of like there's a very very steady like shortstop has that drop off at 14 or 15 where it's just like a cliff second base once you get outside of like the top eight it's just a very steady grade down yeah it is it is the most bottom heavy position which is great for sleepers according to mlb.com max Stassi appears set to win the starting catcher job for the angels with logan ohapi and matt tice I think that's how you say that name. Battling for the backup role. Boo. Paul yeah. Blackburn. Yeah, it's like, what are we doing? So it's like man? all these players we assumed had jobs. And now, now Logan Ohapi, maybe not such a great second catcher choice after all. Paul Blackburn. You know what they say about when you assume. Yeah. Like Frank thought we were, Frank assumed we were going to get to a lot of players we don't talk about today. Yeah. I mean, it's just like going to make it through news and notes. That's right. That's, you know, a lot of stuff going on this weekend, Scott. Uh, Paul Blackburn will start the season on the IL with a fingernail avulsion on his that pitching hand. Gross. Yeah. It's just even the word avulsion, not great. Yeah. Uh, Brewers pitching, uh, not pitching, Brewers prospect. I have a version to avulsion. <laughs> yeah. Joey Weimer has a chance to make the Brewers opening day roster. Craig Council said, quote, we have uncertainty in the outfield right now, and that's created some opportunity for guys. Joey Weimer this spring, 7 for 29. That's 241 with two homers, two steals, seven strikeouts to three walks. What about Sal Freelich, man? Chopped liver? Come on, man. What's going on? He just uh, hasn't been there. That's true. Yeah, he was playing for Team Italy, but he, he did pretty well in the World Baseball Classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see with the Brewers outfield. Players we haven't talked about enough and probably won't be able to talk about them enough. Once again, let's talk about Shane Bieber. That's where we'll start. Uh, one of eight pitchers with 200-plus innings from last season. And this was a different Shane Bieber that we've seen from the past, Chris, where the velocity was down. And I remember early in the season, we were freaking out. Turned out to have a really good season. 288 ERA, 104 whip, nearly a strikeout per inning. Doesn't get as many strikeouts as he used to, but he's still... Pretty reliable. What are your thoughts on Shane Bieber this season? Yeah, it's it's interesting because he's definitely, I feel like the reason we don't talk about him very much is he's just kind of viewed as a boring, safe guy. But there is, I think, still some a little bit of volatility in the profile, and, and that's both good and bad. Like, I, I think there's a chance he could rediscover some of the lost velocity and, and get back to being, you know, probably not, certainly not a 41% strikeout rate guy like he was in 2020, but... You know, a 30% strikeout rate guy, I think, is within the realm of possibility. But I think there's also a chance that, like, he could take another step back and his, you know, contact issues could become a real problem for him. Like, if you were asking me for a player who could have a, like, Lucas Giolito type fall apart season, I think Bieber would be on that list among the players being drafted in that range. Yeah, I mean, he does give up a lot of hard contact, and if he's not getting as many whiffs as he used to, it it is a possibility. The one thing with Bieber, his control is so good that yes. I just can't really see it falling apart that bad, but I hear what you're saying. The ADP for Shane Bieber is 49. He's going just ahead of Julio Rios and Zach Wheeler. Does that make sense to you guys? Is Are you on board with that I price have, tag? I have, Wheeler, I have Wheeler ahead of Bieber, and I imagine Chris does too. Yeah, I do too. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I'm not sure where the hesitance with Wheeler, why that's showing up because he seems about as steady of a of an ace as you'll find. I like uh, Wheeler. Bieber, I was just going to say, Scott, I like Wheeler a lot, but last year, shoulder, and he landed on the IL with, I think, forearm tendonitis for a while. So those are two pretty scary injuries. Yeah, but he, he obviously came back and pitched like Zach Wheeler. And, so, and yeah. Bieber had the shoulder issue the year before. I know right, it right. was a year before, but 
the, that that risk doesn't just go away entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I I'm fine drafting Bieber where I was going. Like I I think if if there is a chance he can regain some velocity and become more dominant, it's not really baked into his cost. I feel like he's being drafted for who he was last year. He tends to go earlier than I take my first pitcher. I usually end up with what I think is a pretty good comp to Shane Bieber, just in terms of pure uh, pure numbers. Alec Alec Manoa. I think they have some similarities yeah. there. Um, but I'd be fine taking Bieber if if Alec Manoa went first. Let's move over to Luis Garcia, starting pitcher with the Houston Astros. Quietly solid with the team last year. 372 ERA, 113 whip, right around a strikeout per inning. Really good. 13% swinging strike rate. I think the one thing I worry about with Luis Garcia is this pitch clock coming in. I saw, I think it was a headline somewhere this weekend that he's kind of changed up his delivery and his motion. Yep. So hopefully he can't do that rocking the baby. Thing. Yeah, he wasn't yeah. doing that in the World Baseball Classic. It's, it's actually illegal. It, it's mm-hmm. not just that it slows him down. It's he, legally he'd be called it'd be called a balk for him. To but do he that. wasn't. So he has, those rules are not in place in the World Baseball Classic, and he wasn't doing it there either. He wasn't yeah. doing it there. Well, that's good. I should hope not. And, and you know, the little bit we saw of him in in the cactus. Or are they in the Grapefruit League? The Astros like one of the few West teams in the Grapefruit I, League. What, whatever so. league he's in. Um, he looked fine in those two starts. A very boring looking delivery now. <laughs> but I, I don't think, just based on the results we've seen between spring training and the World Baseball Classic, I don't think that's going to be an entry. I think we can get that worry out of our minds. Uh, my issue with Luis Garcia, and I have him ranked lower than I think the consensus, not a lot, but a little, is just that um, he is more like a five to six innings pitcher than a, than a six to seven innings pitcher. At least he has been. And I don't know with Verlander out of the picture now, if the Astros are going to give Luis Garcia more of the veteran treatment and lean on him a little harder, have him work deeper into games. I'm looking at his game log now. Only twice did he throw 100 pitches last year. So there's room there for him to go deeper into games. But it's the kind of thing I'm not willing to assume. So if he's, uh, you know, he managed to win 15 games in spite of it last year, pitching for the Astros. You know, if if you're going to throw only 100, less than 160 innings and 30 starts, or about that in 30 starts, um, I don't know. I don't know that I can count on you for 15 wins again. And the ERA is going to be middling. The whip's going to be middling. The strikeout rate's going to be middling. He's just very middling to me unless he takes that big step forward workload-wise. The ADP for Luis Garcia is right around 160. I think a problem for me, too, is where he goes. There's a lot of fun pitchers that I am interested in. Uh, someone like Dustin May or even like Pablo Lopez has looked good oh, so yeah. far. Jeffrey Springs, uh, Drew Rasmussen. Gosh, he's even higher than I thought he was. Maybe I do have him a lot lower than the consensus. Yeah, so going a little bit higher. He pitches for a good team and he gives you a strikeout rating. So I, I kind of get it from that perspective, but I don't know that there's as much upside with Luis Garcia comparatively to the names that are going around him. I just mentioned one of those names, Drew Rasmussen with the Tampa Bay Rays. And it's kind of like an industry darling. I've seen a lot of you know, very smart people on Drew Rasmussen and he broke out in 2021, picked up right where he left off last year, 2.84 ERA, 104 whip. Uh, the strikeout rate was a little bit low at 7.7 K per nine. But 12% swinging strike rate, I 
think the strikeouts could be better. I think we could get closer to a strikeout per inning this season for uh, Drew Rasmussen, and he changed up his pitch mix last year. He threw more. He added a cutter through 33% of the time, so there's legit three pitches there. Pitches for a good organization. Tampa Bay Rays do a good job with their pitchers. Uh, Chris, any thoughts on Drew Rasmussen? Because I found myself gravitating more towards him as I've kind of dug into him a little bit more. He's not a player that I ever really think about drafting just because I'm I'm usually... I don't know if there's upside there, I guess is the way I would put it. Like he has a deep arsenal of pitches that all seem fine in terms of swing strike rate, like cutter sweeper and curveball are all right around 30% swinging strike rate. Fastball is 19%. So I just, I could see a, a path to a breakout. I just, it's a little, it's a little cloudy, I guess. And there are, there are pitchers, I prefer who I guess I just get a little more excited about. He, he's sort yeah, of I like don't... Luis Garcia in that. I also just, I don't know, like, I don't know that you're ever going to get a ton, ton of innings from him or a ton of wins. So I think there's probably a, a ceiling there. Two years in a row, the ERA is exactly 2.84 though. So the one, my one rebuttal to that is Luis Garcia was nearly a run higher than that. Sure, so, sure. I mean, if we're getting a, a good whip and a sub three ERA, and I think he could push closer to a strikeout per inning, then like, I kind of get it. I, I kind of get why people are interested in Drew Rasmussen. Like, I, I, he's interesting. I, I don't really understand why the enthusiasm is going toward him because normally, normally it's big strikeout guys. And strikeouts, mm-hmm. or the lack thereof, is the biggest concern for Drew Rasmussen. So I look, okay, well, what else does he do well? Really good walk rate. That's important. Puts the ball on the ground. I mean, not a ridiculous amount, but mostly he puts. He's more of a ground ball pitcher, which could be a challenge in you know with the shifts going away. Uh, his ERA, as you pointed out, Frank was two eighty four last year. XERA was three forty six. XFIP was three fifty six. If you're not a strikeout pitcher, then I think you need to be really good at a couple things. And I, I'll count in this new environment a high fly ball rate if if it, if you've shown you can suppress home runs with it i'll count that as one thing you do well so that's why i'm giving nestor cortez and um uh like alec manoa more plus, yeah plus they're better strikeout pitchers than rasmussen was on top of it but rasmussen other than other than throwing a lot of strikes i, I don't really see what he does well i I think the thought would be just that he could get more strikeouts because he does throw pretty hard. The stuff seems like it should get more strikeouts. He he does a very good job of limiting quality contact. That's the one place that he he really did excel last season. And so, you know, I could see like I, I mean, if you think percentile average exit velocity, thirty seventh percentile. Yeah, three forty four expected woba on contact. That's very good relative to league average of three sixty eight. Um, so I think like I can see it like if he can do that and get the strikeout rate back to like 24 to 25%, like it was in 2021. But yeah. the thing there is 2021, he was pitching half his starts in relief yeah. and yeah. often wasn't ball. going deep. So, or more than yeah. half his starts. So it's like, is he likely to, you know, be able to sustain, like we saw a mile and a half per hour drop in his fastball velocity. He's already 28. I think he probably is what he is more or less. The final six starts for Rasmussen last year, he went six plus innings five times. And I think one of those, he was going for a no hitter too. He went super deep into that start. Uh, I'm kind of interested, but again, that's a range where there's a lot of really exciting 
pitchers. He, yeah. Rasmussen kind of goes right around Luis Garcia as well. Let's take our final break here, and then we'll kind of run through some more of these uh, players that we have not talked enough about. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in, these deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball today. Let's move over to Brian Reynolds, who last year hit 262 with 27 home runs and 7 steals. The, he got off to a really slow start, but from May 1st on, he hit 272, 25 of those 27 home runs and an 838 OPS. So, Chris, I think if we just kind of give Brian Reynolds the benefit of the doubt, he's probably still closer to like that 275 or maybe even 280 hitter that we saw from May 1st on last season. But man, the the quality of contact metrics for for Brian Reynolds last year were were not nearly as good as they were the year before. The exit velo- average exit velocity was actually a little bit up, but he was a little less consistent about hitting the ball hard at optimum angles. So his barrel rate was actually the lowest it's been since he was a rookie. His expected batting average two forty nine, uh, expected woba three twenty nine compared to a three forty nine mark for his career. He's actually been right around his. Uh, expected mark. So I just, I do wonder if he's getting a benefit of the doubt that may not be a hundred percent deserved. That's not saying that I'm avoiding him, although I don't think I've drafted him this year. It's more just that like we're, I, I think we're all just kind of like, yeah, he's Brian Reynolds still, you know, he's the guy he was in 2019, the guy he was in 2020, the guy he was for most of 2022. Maybe he isn't though. And, you know, I, I do wonder, like, it's a bad park. It's a bad lineup. We expect him to be traded, but we don't know that that's going to happen. I just, I, I think it, it could go worse than we think it will. Let's move over to Whit Merrifield, who last year, kind of a nosedive, a face plant, whatever you want to call it, 250 batting average, 11 home runs, 16 steals, and 139 games. Was actually being benched down the stretch for the Toronto Blue Jays, and then an injury struck, so they, they really had to throw him back into the lineup. 
he was good in September, but uh, I read an article recently that Santiago Espinal is likely to start at second base against lefties this year. So I imagine that's going to come at the expense of Whit Merrifield. Uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on uh, Merrifield this season? You know, I have wondered if Dalton Varsho being so bad against lefties last year, if he would sit against lefties. And of course, Merrifield's perfectly capable of playing the outfield. So maybe it ends up being, I mean, not that we want that in fantasy, but maybe well, it ends that would up be a being bad thing. I can't imagine that like as much as they gave up to get uh, Dalton Varsho, I don't they're think they're going to give him a chance. Yeah. Okay. Either way, it seems unlikely Whit Merrifield's going to get anywhere near the playing time he did in Kansas City because he played about as much as anybody can play. I think there's a pretty good chance he bounces back statistically. Uh, prior to last year, his line drive rates had been among the best in the game year after year. And so I, I, I think just... I think there's a good chance his, his track record would suggest that he gets back to doing that more and the batting average comes up. Steals, he had only 16 of those. He said he plans to run more this year, but he also said he felt like he didn't need to run so much in such a deep lineup after he got traded from Kansas City to Toronto. So that's kind of a con- conflicting statement, I think. I, I don't know what to expect. He's done this before with stolen bases where he said, yeah, I just decided to stop running. And, but like he's fast enough, he certainly can steal a lot of bases if he decides to start running again. So I, I could go either way with Merrifield. I, I feel like among middle infield options, I like an upside guy like Bryce Terang more. And so somebody prob- else is probably going to draft with Merrifield. I think the only league I've gotten him in is an AL only where I tend toward more boring players. Um, but I could see him getting back to being more of a 280 hitter with closer to 30 steals. I don't know that he's going to be impactful for shallow leagues either way, though, because of the the potential loss of playing time. For what it's worth, he has attempted five steals in the spring. He's two for five, or two for two and three, or two for five, whatever the way you would say that is. Yeah. He's been caught stealing three times. Um I care less about the caught stealings. That's a very noisy stat. But the five steals, in as much as stealing is about the desire to steal, that seems like a positive sign. And the sprint speed was still really good for uh, for, Mm -hmm. for Merrifield last year. 84th percentile. Uh, The ADP is 167.4. What do you guys think of the cost? Yeah, it's probably, like I said, a little high for me. And it's not even so much... Let me see who's being drafted in that same range. Oh gosh, Rowdy Telez, right? Yeah. Are you not looking at fantasy pros? Are you looking at? A, yeah, no, that's that's what I have. Yeah, Rowdy Telez yeah. at one seventy point four. So he's being drafted in between Rowdy Telez and Jeffrey Springs. So yeah, that's that's way too high for me. <laughs> if he's there sixty spots later, I might think about it. All right, but even like I said, like I know I can fall back on a Bryce Terang. I'm probably looking in that two twenty range more at like Ezekiel Tovar. So I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't see myself getting a lot of Merrifield, but I could see it. Like I, I'm not necessarily ready to say he's just done, I guess. Let's move over to Josh Hader, who had a 13 game stretch from mid July to late August, where he allowed 22 earned runs over nine innings pitch. That is a 22 ERA 3.44 whip actually lost the Padres closer job at one point, had some stuff going on off the field, a newborn child that was born with some complications, Obviously, 
This guy's a human, like easily could have affected him on the field. Uh, Chris, are you buying the bounce back chances for Josh Hader this season? Yeah, I mean, this is, um, you know, when you ask like players we haven't talked about, I, I suggested Hader. It's not necessarily that I have a ton to say about him necessarily. <laughs> uh, as much as just like we haven't talked about him, I think he's a really interesting player because of what happened last year. And I will note, I think the bounce back chances because he already did bounce back. You know, once he got out of that bad stretch, he was very dominant. I will point out his velocity's down this spring. You know, I, I he's unconcerned, but he's only pitched one game in front of the Statcast cameras. That was down three miles an hour, actually, which is it's a big deal. Um, and I'm reading a report from his second outing where his velocity was still down. I haven't seen anything since then, but you know, given the he he's is he the number one closer in, in ADP now? No. With uh Class A. No? Class, A. Class A. He's number two then with Edwin Diaz out. And like there's a lot at stake there, given how shallow the top tier at, at closer is and how uh impactful those guys are going to be. I'm a little worried. You know, I've gone into the elite tier of closer a few times, but not for hater. Yeah, same. I mean, I, I typically wait a little bit and wind up with a Ryan Presley or a Rysel Iglesias or Felix Bautista, Kenley Jansen, one of those guys. So uh, I I think he'll be fine, but I usually just don't shop in that range for for closers. That is Josh Hader. We got about five-ish minutes left, so let's try and get through as many of these as possible. A little bit of rapid fire. Scott, Eduardo Rodriguez is someone you wanted to talk about. Has not given up a run over 13 spring innings so far. 15 to 2 strikeout to walk ratio. And I saw his start on March 3rd. His velocity on all of his pitches was up almost a mile and a half per hour. So what are your thoughts on Eduardo Rodriguez? Yeah, I don't have a lot of thoughts on Eduardo (laughs) Rodriguez. Again, I was just suggesting a player we haven't talked about a lot. But he has had a really good spring. And, of course, he's been a productive player in the past. And so it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up having a bounce-back season. Most leagues the draft's going to end before I have any interest in taking Eduardo Rodriguez. But if you do play in a deeper league where you, you kind of ne- just need to make sure you get some volume, Eduardo Rodriguez should be able to provide that. And then some eventually his, uh, his velocity was up even more in his world baseball classic start against Nicaragua on March 14th, his velocity was up to 93.6 miles per hour, 1.9 mile per hour on his fastball, plus 3.4 on the changeup, uh, similar for everything else. So, I mean, he's had a really tough couple of years. Yeah. You know, remember, we weren't sure he was ever going to pitch in the majors again when he had uh, myocarditis after having COVID in 2020. Then he had the, the issue where he stepped away from the team last year. So, He's someone that I still think is pretty talented and, and is probably being overlooked in fantasy. Let's move over to Glaber Torres, who has an ADP of 113.2. Bounced back last year, was the 77th overall player in Roto. He had 257 with 24 home runs and 10 steals. Got back to being aggressive for Glaber Torres. His swing percentage and his chase rate were both his highest since 2019, and he actually hit the ball harder than he ever has. Uh, Chris, entering a contract year, do you have interest in Glaber at his price tag of 113? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the fact that he's kept on running last season despite, you know, the the bat coming back around because I was worried that it might be a situation where 
He was trying to make things happen when he wasn't hitting. There are still just counting stat problems for him, though. You know, he just he plays pretty much every day, 140 games last season, but only 572 plate appearances. That feels really low, even for 140 games, because he tends to hit lower in the lineup. So 73 runs, 76 RBI for 24 home runs. That's fine. But it, it's probably there's probably not a path for Glaber Torres to get back to or or to get to being like a high level contributor and runs an RBI anymore. So it's I do like that the bat took a step forward last season. I feel more confident in him than I did a year ago. Um, he's a player I wouldn't mind seeing get traded though. You know I know he's been thrown around in a lot of Yankees trade rumors, and obviously leaving that lineup in that park for most people would be a problem. And he does tend to get a decent share of opposite field home runs last season. Looks like last year it was actually about split evenly, but he's just someone who I think in a, in a worse lineup might actually have a better fantasy context because he'd have more, more opportunities to drive in and score runs than he does hitting, you know, in the bottom third of the Yankees lineup. I think it would cost more than this, but something that kind of made sense in my mind was Gleyber Torres and whatever prospects, or a prospect for Brian Reynolds, but seeing as how he's entering a contract year, I mean, the Pirates don't pay anyone, so they, they probably don't yeah. want Glaber Torres. Yeah, Glaber for Pablo Lopez would have also made some sense, but right. you know that that kind of deal. You know, he, with Volpe, with Peraza, it just it definitely feels like we're we're near the end of the the Glaber Torres era in, in the Bronx. And I, I I love Glaber when he first got called up too. It's it's kind of sad if he winds up leaving the Yankees, <laughs> but uh Man, they do have so many interesting middle infield prospects. Scott, I'm going to throw a bunch of names your way, and uh, these were names that you brought up to me, and uh, that includes Brady Singer, Ty France, Luis Severino, Tim Anderson, Seth Brown. So five names there. If you want to kind of quickly hit on, I don't know, a couple of points for each of those again, Singer, Ty France, Severino, Tim Anderson, and Seth Brown. So my interest in Ty France has is, is completely dependent on how deep the league is. I think he, uh, I, I think he's a pretty low ceiling player at a position mm-hmm. where in shallow leagues you need a pretty high ceiling. So I, I don't have like in a standard head to head points lineup. I don't have a lot of interest in France at all. I'd rather go for a Tristan Casas or any kind of sleeper. But if you're talking about a deeper roto league, I'm I'm trying to make an effort in, in like NFBC style contests to be a little more boring in the middle rounds because Ty France is, you know, I I think he was banged up. And so he ended up only hitting 274, but I think he's a pretty good bet to hit 290 or better. So good batting average stabilizer in that range without killing you in the pad in the power categories, probably going to bat second more often than not in that Mariners lineup. So I, I do like him for that purpose. Uh, Luis Severino's had a really rocky spring, and he's 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 kind of laughed it off, um, saying, "Yeah, that's not going to work during the regular season." But given his health history, especially recently, like I, I kind of need to see him performing. He, he doesn't; it doesn't seem to bother him, and maybe he'll be fine. Um, but I, I need to know, however many innings he's going to give me, they're going to be productive. So I'm I'm finding myself fading Luis Severino. Uh, I want to make sure I do mention Brady Singer because Brady Singer, like I was saying for Drew Rasmussen and, and Luis Garcia earlier, I just, and, and, and I think Singer's, Singer's maybe the most outrageous example of this. I just don't get 
why there seems to be so much enthusiasm for him. Yes, he did have a productive season last year, had a good ERA, 323 ERA, 114 whip, less than a strikeout per inning, so it's another one. Okay, he's not a big bat misser. Not only that, but he has basically just two pitches, fastball, slider. Not only that, but he pitches for one of the worst teams in baseball. So even in a best-case scenario, how many wins is he going to give you? I just see nothing but regression here. And yet Brady Singer is being drafted ahead of um, much more interesting pitchers. Reed Detmers for one of them, Jack Flaherty, all of the Mount Rushmore, whatever we're calling them. Like I, I don't know what Brady Singer has friend. on the Mount Rushmore. Like he's boring in his own right. I, I don't. I don't really get it. He is working on a changeup this spring, so maybe that opens things up more if he can develop that. But and he he did throw the changeup more uh, as the season went on. I think he's one of those guys who definitely benefits from like a an arbitrary endpoint uh, look at the season because. Basically, through the three first three months, he had a 433 ERA. After that, 263. So I think he's one of the guys who, you know, tends to get the like, if you look at it from the second half on, he looks like he took a huge jump. Full season t- statistics tend to be more predictive than half season. And, you know, in he did have more than a strikeout per inning in that second yeah. half, in that from July 1st on, but it was. 101 and 99 innings. So it's not negligible difference. First half, second half, caper nine. Yeah. It looks better by strikeout percentage, but still, yeah, true. That's true. Yeah. We're going to wrap there for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for watching and listening fantasy baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.